Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Atlanta Man Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode we have a lot to talk about. I um, had some breaking news right before I recorded. Um, we'll start off with that right now, is that Matt Ryan has been traded to the Indianapolis Colts for a third round pick. Um, but before we get into that trade, we got to... Go over the entire Deshaun Watson fiasco that took place last week. Um, right after, either on Tuesday or right after a court on Monday, Adam Schefter reported that the Falcons were a sleeper team for Deshaun Watson, and uh, they quickly became a uh, favorite in this Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, more than a sleeper team. And it looked um, very apparent that, or looked apparent to me at least, that the Falcons were probably going to land Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, he is from Georgia, from Gainesville, Georgia, went to high school here. He's had a long connection with the Falcons before he um, even went to college. He was, used to be a ball boy for the Falcons. Arthur Blank has known him since he was in high school, and he's very good at football. Um, but that is, um, that's just the football side of things. And there is way more to that than with Deshaun Watson. Um, he has 22 counts or 22 um, allegations of sexual assault. Um, from multiple different women, and he uh, didn't play at all last year for the Texans, partly because of that, partly because he was trying to get traded from the Texans. Um, but um, a couple weeks ago, he was they said that he was not going to be charged with any of them. Um, doesn't mean that he didn't do that, but um, they just didn't have enough evidence to convict him of those crimes. So he was um, he was off scot free and able to go and uh, seek a trade. The Texans were willing to seek a trade with him. Um, it looked at first early on the sweepstakes that it was just between like the Panthers, the Saints, and the Browns were linked to him. Um, it was reported that the Browns were actually out on him on Wednesday, I believe, and that it was just down to the Saints, Falcons, and Panthers. Then the Panthers were informed that they were out, and it was just down to the Saints and the Falcons. And it became very, uh, it became very likely that Deshaun was going to be a Falcon. And um, you know, the the Falcons had um push back Matt Ryan's um, roster bonus to today, actually, or tomorrow. Um, so they didn't have to pay him because they were seeking to try to trade Matt Ryan because they were planning on getting Deshaun Watson. And on Thursday and Friday, I just kind of sat around him all day, both those days, just waiting for it to be announced that the Falcons had completed the trade and Sean had ch- chose them. Um, but it didn't happen on Thursday. And on Friday, just kind of out of nowhere, it uh, was reported that the Browns had won the sweepstakes and um, were trading for Deshaun Watson, even after they were informed that they were out on Watson just a few days before. But it looks like the Browns kind of sw- swooped in at the last minute and uh, gave um, they gave Deshaun Watson a new contract. It was the largest contract in NFL history as far as guaranteed money goes. Um, so, yeah, it was, I believe it was a $250 million contract over five years. Every bit of it's guaranteed for Watson. And they're um, also giving a lot to the Texans. Um, but it's uh, three first-round picks, a third-round pick, and potentially a fifth-round pick um, to the Texans for Watson. So a massive trade there, obviously, but um, not going to get into it on the Brown side or anything because Watson's just not um, not our problem anymore, I guess you could say. Um, there's a lot of baggage that comes with him, and I had mixed feelings about the Falcons even being involved with him in the first place, but um, didn't happen, so can move on to the Matt Ryan stuff now. So pretty much the Falcons just completely 
completely just disrespected Matt Ryan during this entire process. They pushed back his roster bonus to Tuesday so they could um, have time to trade him after they get Watson. They pretty much told him that, he was, that they were trying to get Deshaun Watson. We're replacing you. And then when the Watson stuff fell through, you're stuck with Matt and he probably wasn't happy. And there hasn't been like um, specific reporting that Matt was unhappy with the Falcons, even though he probably was. And for very good reason, but it was reported that um, he thought the Colts were the best place for him to win now, and that's where he um, requested his trade, and that's exactly where he ended up. Um, Falcons got a third-round pick for him. The Colts traded their 82nd overall pick. They actually had two first third-rounders. They also had number 73, so the Falcons are getting the lesser of the third-round picks from the Colts. then the cap space, as far as that goes, the Falcons have $40 million in dead money. Um, from the Matt Ryan trade, but it's actually going to save them money because the cap hit for um, him was $48 million, um, almost 49 actually, so more than $8 million of cap savings, but $40 million in dead cap. I um, saw today that the Falcons um, are like have like close to $60 million in dead cap between Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, which is just really, really bad and just a bad look um, for the, the whole, whole organization, really. And I'm going to get into the Falcons as an organization here in a second, um, but you know, I'm happy for Matt Ryan. Um, he's going to a good Colts team. I think they are. Um, they barely missed the playoffs last year. They kind of had a collapse at the end of the season. And um, I think Matt is an upgrade for them over Carson Wentz. I think they have a pretty solid roster around him. They have Jonathan Taylor. Um, their wide receivers are um, they're okay. They got T.Y. Hilton, who is a little bit on the older side. They got Michael Pittman. Um, so they're okay. Um, they got a good offensive line. Their defense has some solid pieces. So the Colts are definitely a playoff team, in my opinion. And um, I'm going to be rooting for them a lot next year because the Falcons are going to be god-awful. And um, I'm going to be rooting for Matt Ryan. I hope the Colts win the Super Bowl next year um, because Matt deserves it more than anybody, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, this is um, this is not a good trade for the Falcons, in my opinion. Um, I think everyone was kind of expecting when Matt, if, if and when Matt was going to get traded, that they were going to get at least a second-rounder for him. Um you know, it was going to be hard with the Colts to get a first-round pick because the Colts are without their first-round pick because they used it to trade for Carson Wentz last offseason. But they were kind of hoping, like, um, a second-round pick, maybe conditional um, second-rounder that could turn into a first-rounder, maybe like that, and a third-round pick. That's what kind of kind of the idea that uh, people were thinking um, for the draft compensation the Falcons would get in return. But they only get this third-round pick, a lower third-round pick than they could have gotten, which is just kind of ridiculous and... The reason I think this happened, I think um, the Colts were kind of the only suitor for Matt. Um, it was reported the Seahawks had interest, but I don't ever think that was going to be a thing. The Seahawks are kind of in a rebuild mode, too, and bringing on a veteran quarterback into that situation is um, not very smart, in my opinion, for the Seahawks. Um, I don't know how true that was, and Matt also probably would have declined to go to the Seahawks, um, but the Colts seemed like the most easy fit and um, I think that just kind of took away all of the Falcons leverage in this situation Um, I think it was very clear that they had to trade Matt um, and that the Colts were kind of the only suitor so the Colts could just kind of say you know what we know you have to trade him and we know that we're the only team that is a fit so this is what we're going to give you and and the, the, the Falcons had no leverage that's pretty much what it comes down to and that is why they got such bad compensation for this franchise player of Matt Ryan. So move on to um, just the Matt Ryan grand scheme of things, of his entire career as a Falcon. Um, 
you know, he's, in my opinion, the greatest Falcon um, ever. The Falcons were a complete dumpster fire before Matt Ryan came here. They're just coming off the heels of all the Michael Vick stuff and Bobby Petrino, and they were just an absolutely horrible organization. Um, and Matt Ryan came in with some stability. He was third overall pick, and he was about everything you could ask for. He won an MVP. Um, you know, the Falcons went to six the playoffs six times with him. They went to a Super Bowl. I know that's like nothing. Um, and nothing like the Falcons fans love to brag about is going to the Super Bowl, but they, he did do that. We went to the Super Bowl. We had success, more success than and the Matt Ryan era than any other era in Falcons history. He's by far the Falcons' leading passer of all time in yards, touchdowns, completions, everything, wins. Every side you can think of, Matt Ryan leads in. Um, he's a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. He has a chance to pad his resume in Indianapolis. Um, he's a, already a top 10 all-time in passing yards. Matt Ryan is the greatest Falcon of all time, and the the Falcons just completely, completely, completely botched this send-off for Matt. I always thought that there was going to be a day where this was going to happen. Um, you know, even like pretty recently, I was like, yeah, Matt Ryan might get traded this offseason, or I've kind of thought that for a couple off-seasons now. Um, but I did not think it was going to be like this, and the Falcons just completely just botching it and throwing up all over themselves. I think this is just a completely, completely disrespectful um, – it was disrespectful to Matt Ryan – and disrespectful, disrespectful to the fan base, and I think it was just a complete and utter disaster. And I'm asserting a majority of the blame of this on Arthur Blank. He was the one that wanted Deshaun Watson. Like I said, he has known Deshaun Watson since high school. There was some reporting that he was the main, um, the main guy in the front. It wasn't Fontenot, it wasn't Smith. It was Arthur Blank wanting to go after Deshaun Watson, and he didn't do it. He failed at doing that, and um, you know. You know, even like Deshaun Watson, it was argu- it was arguable that it wasn't a good move for the Falcons, and I think I might agree with that. Not even because of the off the field stuff, but you know, if, even if we bring Deshaun Watson onto this roster, the roster's still not very good around him, and I don't think the Falcons would have had much success. I think Arthur Blank just wanted to put asses in seats by getting Deshaun Watson, and while he would have done that, he was definitely just kind of um, setting the franchise up for failure and for embarrassment. And this is what this is. This is an embarrassing, embarrassing move for the Falcons. It's a move they had to make. This is just an embarrassing situation all around is what I should say. Between the Watson stuff and now having to deal Matt, they're just a joke. They're a joke of a franchise, and um, I think that starts from the top down. Um, I said earlier um, on Twitter that I think Arthur Blank should put the team up for sale because I just I think this is just such a bad move and just such a terrible, terrible way to send off the greatest player that's ever played for your pathetic franchise. And, um, yeah, I'm just very, very upset about this. It is a terrible, terrible day for the Falcons. Um, you know, I I wish Matt the absolute best. I hope he wins the Super Bowl in Indianapolis. He deserves better. He does not. The Falcons do not deserve Matt Ryan. All he's done for this franchise, it is ridiculous, and I am very upset. Like I said, so um, yeah. So pretty much all I got on this situation. Um, you know. Falcons were linked to Marcus Mariota shortly after this. Maybe we can um, get into that down the road when they do um, decide to find a replacement for Matt Ryan. But um, I don't know if that would be in the draft. Get a guy like Malik Willis or a free agent like Mariota or somebody. Um, Baker Mayfield might get traded. I don't know. I don't even care at this point. They're going to be historically bad next year, in my opinion. Their roster is completely, completely, completely terrible. 
And um, I didn't get to mention, but we did sign Cordero Patterson yesterday um, to a pretty good deal, I think. It was like two years, $10 million for a Cordero. And, um, you know, that that's completely got overshadowed. But um, that is worth mentioning that they did do that yesterday. And I, I do like that move. But, um, yeah, we'll move on now from the Falcons. They're just um, the worst to talk about. And we'll um, talk about the Braves. And um, they had a very, very busy week. Um, last time we talked about the Braves, they traded for Matt Olson. And it uh, appeared that Freddie was gone. And Freddie did sign last week with the Dodgers. Um, but the Braves made a plethora of moves. And uh, we'll start off with the one that uh, took place the day after he got traded. Matt Olson got extended. Eight years, $168 million with a club option for $20 million for 2030. Um, he'll only make $15 million in 2022. Then it'll be $21 million, $22 million um, for the rest of the contract. I think this is a very good deal for Matt Olson. I think it's good value. I think he is definitely going to be worth more than the $21 or $22 million that he's going to be making. I love this deal for the Braves. It's team-friendly. It's, um, you know... It's hard to say like a contract's team friendly was 168 million, but this is a team friendly deal. It's not as it's not as team friendly as the Ronald Cunha and Ozzy Albies contracts, but it is definitely a team friendly deal for the Braves, I think. But also just great money for Matt Olson, life changing money. He is set um, for the pretty much the rest of his career now. Eight years, possibility for nine. I love this deal for the Braves, and um, yeah, locked up a great great player for um, I think below market value. Um, if he would have waited two years and hit free agency, he would have definitely got more money on the free agent market than um, than he did here. So good for Matt Olson, good for the Braves. Uh, moving on to the second move they made this week, and that was um, Colin McHugh from the Rays. He was a reliever last year, a, a former starter, kind of a hybrid guy. Did some opening for the Rays last year. Uh, the Braves get him at two years, $10 million. Um, he'll make $4 million in 2022 and $6 million in 2023, and a club option for 2024 for $6 million. And this is a deal I like a lot. Um, McHugh had a sub-2 ERA last year with the Rays. Um, his baseball savant page is off the charts, a lot of red, which is very good. Um, he's been a good pitcher for a long time. Um, was on the 2017 Astros, who won a World Series. Um, he was a starter for the Astros mainly back then. He um, transi- transitioned into a bullpen role where he's been very, very good, a very solid right-handed arm um, for this bullpen. And um, the Braves, spoiler, the Braves bullpen is ridiculous um, on paper going into 2022 and we'll get into their other bullpen move they made later but um we'll uh, talk about the next one which was eddie rosario returning nlcs mvp playoff legend eddie rosario um got him back on a two-year deal worth 18 million dollars and a club option for 2024 um love this deal um eddie's awesome they need another left-handed bat they need another outfielder eddie checks all those boxes i think it's appropriate value two years 18 million eddie rosario I'm uh, firmly confident that he will be worth $9 million a year over these next two years. Um, I don't really have any doubt about that. That guy can hit, and it's just great to have him back because he was just awesome during the playoffs, especially against the Dodgers, where he pretty much turned into Barry Bonds for that series. And, yeah, I love Eddie Rosario, and I love this deal, and I'm so glad he's back. So move on um, to the last free agent signing that they made this week, a major or like a major league signing that they made this week in – Maybe the this is this was the biggest surprise signing that the Braves have done in my lifetime. Maybe just out of pure shock value and just randomness, um, they signed longtime Dodgers closer Kenley Jansen to a one-year, sixteen million-dollar contract. Out of 
really nowhere on Friday night. Um, pretty late into the night. It was like at 1030, 11 o'clock, I believe. Um, when they when they made this deal just out of absolutely nowhere. And um, I got to say, I really like the deal. I like it a lot. Kinley has been awesome for a long time. It's um, pretty obvious he's a career 237 ERA, 350 saves, um, 1,022 strikeouts in 705 innings. He's awesome. He is a generational relief reliever, pretty much. And he was incredible last year, too, in the regular season. Um, a 2-2-2 ERA over 69 innings. That's a nice number with 86 strikeouts. A uh, 185 ERA plus, which is um, above his career average, actually. 11.2 strikeouts per nine. A 308 FIP. He was very, very good last year. Every time I got to really see him pitch, he was mowing dudes down with that cutter, which is just a fantastic pitch. The only um, memory I have of Kinley being bad last year, or I wouldn't even say this was bad, but was in the NLCS against the Braves when Eddie Rosario hit that rocket on the first pitch that he threw to win the game. And even that run that he gave up wasn't charged to him. He did give up the hit to Rosario. But that's the only time last year. You know, I didn't get to see Kinley pitch a whole lot last year, but every time I saw him pitch, he did not give up a run. That's the only time I saw Kinley give up a run last year. He only gave up 17 of them in the regular season. Um, yeah, he was he was awesome last year, and he's been awesome for a long time. You know, it looked like he was regressing a little bit. Like 2019, he had a 371, but in 2020 and in 2021, he has been very solid. And um, yeah, just a, a really good get for this Braves bullpen who project to be ridiculous. I think on paper, this is the best bullpen in baseball, which is pretty crazy to say because of like teams like the White Sox who have insane bullpens and you know, there other, are other, um, great bullpens out there, but getting McHugh and Jansen, adding that to, you know, Tyler Matzik, Will Smith, A.J. Minter, Luke Jackson, all those guys, the night shift. The night shift just got a huge boost, and I love this deal. I just do. And, um, you know, a part of it, uh, we'll get into the Freddie stuff in a second, but um, this happened after the Dodgers signed Freddie. So it is kind of like a, uh, you know, you, you take our guy, we'll take yours, which is um pretty uh, pretty interesting thing there. And I can already picture it, you know, probably in the regular season, maybe even the postseason, there is going to be the moment where Kinley comes in for the save against the Dodgers, and it's going to be Kinley Jansen versus Freddie Freeman. It's going to happen. It's the most predictable thing ever. I don't know what's going to happen in that matchup, but I'm, I'm willing to bet money that that's going to be a thing that happens, and it's going to be quite the spectacle, and it's going to be very jarring-looking, seeing those guys in separate un- and the, the other uniforms of the teams. It's going to be very weird, um, but yeah, I'm excited about this signing. Kinley's awesome. He's um, He seemed very excited to uh, come to Atlanta and play for the Braves. You know, the Braves um, signed his brother a very long time ago, like the early 2000s, so he was always watching the Braves at like spring training and stuff. Um, he grew up watching the Braves on TBS like a lot of people did. Um, he was a huge fan of Andrew Jones, who's also from Curacao, where Kinley is from. So... A lot of uh, a lot of things there that are um, good connections. Um, him and Ozzy are both from Curacao. They've bonded over that before, even before he got signed with the Braves. Um, it's a it's a really good deal. I like Kinley. He seems like a very good guy, and I'm very excited to watch him pitch. And he is the new closer, actually. Um, Anthopolis asked Will Smith actually if um if he was on board with this for him being the closer, and Will Smith said absolutely. Even though I don't really agree with the um. The thought process of just having one closer. I don't love that. You don't have to do that. You can have, you can divide it up um, to multiple guys. You know, you can, because, you know, maybe you want Will Smith closing sometimes because there's a bunch of lefties coming up. Then you want Kinley closing because there's a bunch of righties. I really don't love just having that set guy in the ninth thing, no matter what the situation is. But um, I digress. They're both good. 
and um, <clears throat> I'm very excited for uh, for this bullpen and for this team, really. So, yeah, we'll uh, move on to the Freddy stuff now, which is super. It got super interesting this week because of a article written by Buster Olney on ESPN, which really just gave a lot of context to this entire situation. Um, but before we get into that, I'll say Freddie's contract. He got six years, $162 million, um, which is a little bit less than I thought he was going to get, to be honest with you. I thought he was going to get around $80 million for six years. And on top of it all, he is playing in California, where the state income tax is a lot more than Georgia or other states. So it is, um, Freddie is not going to be making as much money as I think most people thought he was. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really care about that. I just kind of want to get into, um, the saga that was, um, reported by Buster Rolney of all of the, uh, stuff that happened with this deal and the Braves kind of lack of involvement, I guess. I wouldn't even say that lack of involvement, but, um, just, um, I think, I think Freddie's camp thought the Braves wanted Freddie way more than they actually did. Um, I think the Braves had no issue going to get Matt Olson, and Freddie's agency didn't think that. And they thought that they had some imaginary leverage that they didn't have. Um, it's a very interesting story. It um, goes into all the contract details. Buster only talked a lot with Chipper Jones, who was um, very involved in, in this actually, which is very interesting. Um, there's some quotes here from Chipper. I feel like I lost a family member. I lost a little brother and that hurts. Um, another quote is, I wish like anything that we could go back in time just about a week and have a do over just for Freddie's sake. Um, it was reported that Freddie was very upset when the Matt Olson trade happened. Um, you know, he seemed, he seemed kind of, I watched his press conference, his introduction press conference with the Dodgers, and it was um, very, very weird. It was just kind of like everyone knew that the Dodgers were kind of plan B for Freddie, that he wanted to stay in Atlanta, and that this is plan B. And everyone kind of knew that, but nobody wanted to say it. Him and Andrew Friedman were over there kind of just dancing around it. Freddie had quotes like, you know, I thought I'd be in Atlanta my whole career, all this stuff. Um, he didn't. It looked. It was just a very uncomfortable press conference. It's just a very weird situation all around. Um, but you know, it is just a uh, just a crazy, crazy situation. Um, here's another quote from Chipper that I think is pretty interesting. Um, he says, "I'm not going to speak for Alex. So I'm not Alex Anthopoulos. I don't know the interactions between Alex and Excel, Freddie's agency, but somewhere in there was miscommunication, lack of communication, something." Um, from my conversation with Freddie, he just wanted to stay. I'm just not so sure that the way that he and his camp handled it was the way to make it happen. That's from Chipper Jones, which is very, very interesting quotes. Um, there's also a uh, some reporting on the contracts that the Braves offered him. They offered him five years, 125 million. They bumped up to 135 million. Um, I think their final offer was around um, 145 over five years and they might have even offered him a six-year deal with um just a lot less aav but um i'm just gonna keep on reading these chipper jones quotes because i find them super interesting um he said chipper says i told him if you go to free agency you will get courted by all the big market teams you're not coming back he says i told freddie you're playing a dangerous dangerous game they will move on without you because alex has a job to do if he doesn't do that he puts his job in jeopardy 
very, very interesting quotes. Chipper was pretty much just warning him because he is, um, I guess, he is very, very aware of how Anthopolis operates. Um, but here is the most interesting part of the entire article, in my opinion. I'll just read this whole paragraph from Olney. It says, On Friday, March 11th, there was a report that the Dodgers were making an intense push to sign Freeman. The next day, close, and, and Anthopolis closes Freddie's agent. Anthopolis spoke, and according to four sources, close told Anthopolis that the Braves had an hour to accept one of two proposals. A six-year deal worth $175 million, an average of a little more than $29 million a year, or a five-year deal worth $160 million, an average of $33 million per season. Anthopolis rejected both of Excel's proposals. The two sides agreed on this. All offers and proposals were off the table. Both sides needed to prepare for an Atlanta squad without Freddie Freeman. And quickly, Anthopolis began making those plans, and he knew that if Freeman was not going to be the Braves' first baseman, he needed a star, a high-end player, for the sake of the team's run production and defense. The Braves have won the NL East each of the past four years with Freddie Freeman at first base. But their competition was only getting tougher with the Mets, yada, yada, yada. So the Braves, very late on Sunday, March 13th, a day after Anthopolis ended talks with Freeman's camp, Anthopolis reached out to Billy Bean, who heads baseball operations for the Athletics, and asked Bean for Bean's price for Olsen. For Oakland, this was an opportunity to deal with a desperate trade partner. As one executive said, Billy knew Alex couldn't roll out Joey Bag of Donuts out there at first base to replace Freddie Freeman, but they got a star. The Braves could shape a conversation around Freeman's departure. The message to the team would be that even without Freeman, the team was serious about winning. So that's a, that was a mouthful, I know, but pretty much Freddie's camp gave Anthopolis an ultimatum on Saturday night saying, you have two deals, um, six years, $175 million, which the Braves were never going to give him a six-year, or a five-year deal worth $165 million, which is $33 million per season. And Anthopolis said, uh, no thank you, and turned around and went and got Matt Olson. And... I think that blindsided Freddie and his camp big time because I think that they thought that was going to work. They thought that one-hour ultimatum, deadline, whatever you want to call it, was going to make the Braves cave in and take one of those deals. And they were just not going to do that ever. And I just I think Freddie's agency really, really, really messed up here. They really messed up. If I was Freddie, I would consider a new agent after this because – they thought they had some leverage that was completely imaginary and that they that they thought the Braves were going to cave in and give Freddie what he wanted, even if that meant, you know, the greater good of the team. And they were not even close to doing that, in my opinion. I don't think I think Anthopolis looked at those two deals and laughed and said, OK, that's how it is. I'll go call Billy Bean and we'll get Matt Olson. And that's exactly what they did. And, um, you know, this is very one-sided. It's from Chipper, who is a very biased, brave-sided source here. So I guess take this with a little grain of salt. But um, it seems like the Braves, you know, while they, were, they weren't willing to give him that six-year, they, um, they handled this correctly. And it looks like that Excel, Freddie's agency, really messed up here with this ultimatum. And... Um, you know, yeah, all the reports were Freddie was just absolutely stunned the day um, that Olsen got traded to the Braves. And, um, yeah, it's 
there was another there's another thing that um freddie said that they didn't tell him before that they, they didn't tell freddie's camp at all that they were um trading for matt olson that was leaked by freddie's agency um to kind of just save face i guess for themselves and kind of make anthopolis and the braves kind of look like the bad guy here for not telling freddie that they were moving on look the braves couldn't do that because if that trade were to have gotten leaked that would be a very bad thing for the braves um if that thing got leaked and the trade fell through, the Braves are in a completely, completely terrible place with Olsen and Freeman at that point. So they couldn't like tell the whole agency that they're trading for Matt Olsen because it is definitely within their power to go out and um, leak that to the press and that the Braves are about to trade for Matt Olsen and the whole deal could fall through. So Anthopoulos was never going to do that. And if you know Anthopoulos in this Braves front office, they don't leak anything. Every single free agent signing that the Braves have made this week has been tweeted out from the team's Twitter account. Jeff Passan, Ken Rosenthal, nobody gets a scoop on the Braves ever, really. Um, it's all reported by the team because they were very close to the vest and they don't let things leak. And I think Freddie knew that and they were just kind of trying to save face there a little bit and make them look, make themselves look better and feel better um, about the situation because I think they knew that they messed up big time um, on this one. So, yeah, that's um, pretty much all I got on the Freddie situation. It is um, very, it's sad. It's sad that Freddie's going to be gone, and it's even worse that he went to the Dodgers. I will say that, but this Braves and Dodgers rivalry, I think it's the best in baseball right now. It might have been the best in baseball even if Freddie would have stayed, but it is just, it's going to be must-see TV. They play each other in April in Los Angeles, which that's going to be something. That's going to be a very entertaining series. And then in July, the Dodgers come to Atlanta on a weekend series, and that is going to be an absolute doozy. And um, I think there is a very, very strong possibility that the, these two teams are going to be in the NLCS again. If I, if I had, if I were to bet on it, what the NLCS would be, it would be Braves Dodgers again for the third year in a row because they are on paper far and away the two best teams in the National League in my opinion. Um, you know, no one's, no one's really touching them as far as the talent on paper goes. These two teams are loaded. The Braves are loaded. They just load up their bullpen. They just got Matt Olson. The Dodgers just got Freddie Freeman. They are two very good teams, and I expect them to be facing off in October. And it's going to be must-see TV, and I'm excited. I'm excited for this Braves team. I'm excited for this season. It's going to be awesome. And I'm excited to play the Dodgers. It's going to be weird as hell playing against Freddie Freeman, especially on the Dodgers, but I am excited for it. It's going to be it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, I'll say. So that's all I got on the Braves and on Freddie Freeman. Uh, now to wrap up the show, we will talk about... The Atlanta Hawks, who just continued to kind of be a middling team, which is super annoying. Um, they went 2-2 two and two on the week. Uh, they started the week at home against the Trailblazers. And this was a game that the Hawks were down in by 15 points to a terrible Portland team. Um, but they were able to come back. Trey had a fantastic game. He ended up having 46 points. Um, and the Hawks ended up winning 122-113. to um, on Wednesday, they had to go to Charlotte, what could be a play-in game preview against the Hornets, and they kind of laid an egg. They lost 116-106, to 106, a pretty frustrating one in Charlotte, I will say. Um, just a really good start for the Hawks offensively, but they absolutely crumbled offensively in the second half. They only scored 39 points in the second half of this game, which is pretty pitiful considering they scored 33 and 34 in the first and second quarters. And, um, yeah, they ended up losing by 10 in a very, very frustrating game. And then they actually got a very good win on Friday at home against the Grizzlies team who had just got John Morant back, back, and the Hawks were without Trey Young. 
and they won 120 to 105. Um, a very, very good win. The Grizzlies are currently second in the Western Conference, second best team in the Western Conference for the Grizzlies. I don't think a lot of people had that this year, but they are. Um, Bogey had 30 points in this game. He was awesome. It's a season high for him. Um, Capella had 18, 14 for DeAndre, 18 for DeLon Wright, who had his best game of the year. He went four of six from three. DeLon Wright was awesome against the Grizzlies. He was able to get the start with Trey being out in that one. And then once you think the Hawks got low momentum, they have a home game on Sunday against New Orleans, who isn't completely terrible, but they are still like 13 games below 500, and they lose 117 to 112. Um, snaps their home winning streak. Uh, I think they had it was up to seven games, I believe, seven or eight games of a home winning streak. They lost 117 to 112. Trey had a rough game in this one. Um, probably might still be banged up a little bit after he missed that game on Friday against the Grizzlies, but he was he was uh, tough in this game. He had 21 points, but five of 14 shooting wasn't great for him. He had seven turnovers, which is a little a little high for him. Um, minus 19 in this game for him, which is not something you see all the time. And, um, yeah, the Hawks did not play very well at all against the, the the Pelicans, except for Danilo Gallinari. He was awesome in this game. He had 27 points on the season high for him. He was vintage Gallo in that one. So those were the results on the week. Um, the Hawks currently sit at 35 and 36. Um, the games that they have coming up this week are very winnable, the first two at least. Both on the road, though, which is um, definitely notable, First one is at the Knicks on Tuesday. Then they go at the Pistons for a rematch of a game they lost a couple weeks back against the Pistons on Wednesday. Then on Friday, they come home to play the Warriors, who are currently without Steph Curry. And uh, those are the three games on the week. So you kind of need you – you need to go 2-1 and one here at the very least. Um, you know, the Warriors obviously aren't the same team without Steph. But, um, yeah, this is a definitely a um, winnable week for the Hawks. Uh, was with the Warriors shorthanded and the Knicks and Pistons aren't very good. Uh, the last piece of Hawks news before we get out of here is that it uh, looks like John Collins is going to be out for a good amount of time. I think probably the rest of the season, honestly. Um, it says John Collins has plantar fascia has a plantar fascia tear in his right foot, as well as a damage to his right finger, which um, has been noted before that he has that weird finger that won't like pop back into place and it looks very bad. And, um, yeah, he has a plantar fascia tear. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but it doesn't sound good. Um, that's that foot injury that he's been dealing with for a long time now, and um, I think Collins is probably out for the season. So that's not good for the Hawks at all. They're currently 10th in the East. Um, right now, if the season ended, they would play the Hornets in the playing game on the road in Charlotte, and they have a must-win game. Uh, I think they're pretty safely in the playing game. They're four and a half games ahead of the Wizards. So the Hawks are going to be in the play-in. The only question is, can they get the ninth or maybe eighth? I think seventh is completely out of the equation now because the Raptors are just so far ahead. The Raptors might even get into the playoffs, and Cleveland might be that uh, seventh seed, actually. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. But the Hawks, they're just having a rough year. Um, that's obvious. And, yeah, the roughness just continues with this Collins news and just their um, – frustrating play on the court of looking great one game and then laying an egg the next it's kind of been the theme of the season but um that's just it is what it is with the hawks at this point so that'll do it for this episode if you made it this far listening i really really appreciate it and i will see you in the next one